Welcome to episode 52 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast, your guide to observing the night sky. I'm Chris, and joining me is Shane. And hey, wait, Shane, I think somebody's somebody else is with us this week. Yeah, what the heck? Our, our very first live guest. Yeah, and we didn't tell her that she was going to be our first guest either. <laughs> <laughs> so we have our observing friend uh, Kathleen joining us this week. How are you today, Kathleen? I am in great shape. I'm excited to be chatting with you too. Uh, you're like the dynamic duo of uh, actual astronomy, so I'm <laughs> very excited. Yeah, good, and we're we're really happy to have you. So we we were the three of us were supposed to meet up and do some uh, astronomy recently. We we're going to go down to the Grasslands National Park, and then uh, we uh, we were smoked out, eh? Like the conditions were pretty bad here, and you end up going somewhere else, uh, Kathleen. Where did you end up going to do some astronomy? Well, I thought I would be in good stead to head north, hoping to escape the, uh, the haze um, that came up from the States, from the smoke fires. Uh, so I went up to the uh, Prince Albert National Park. Okay. And uh, I guess like some other people, I'm trying to find a, a balance between kayaking and astronomy and camping. So I went up there and... Um, Yes, the first night was was okay. Uh, yeah, the Friday night was the best best observing night, um, but I ended up just uh, you know lying on the ground in my nice uh, um, sack and, and my you know winter boots and my winter clothes and just did some binocular viewing. So I didn't get my telescope out, but my telescope did come with me. That's amazing. <laughs> cool, good stuff. Well, I think we'll get more into that in a moment, but. I just want to say maybe maybe it's a little bit of an introduction to, to you. Um, you're a you're a longtime amateur astronomer, and I'd sort of known a bit about who you were before I moved to Saskatchewan ten years ago. And when we started doing our summer sessions together, we we try to get together at least once a year to do a session. And because uh, you live like three or four hundred kilometers away from us, so uh, it's it's hard for us to get together that much. But you really inspired me to take up astronomical sketching because you're a very good astronomical sketcher. Well, thank you very much. And it was really between you and uh, Mark Bratton and Randall. Um, you, you, you folks really demonstrated uh, to me anyway, like how you can actually uh, do this. Now, I, I consider like you an artist and I'm somebody who's drawing, <laughs> drawing shades and, and lines on a page, but it really showed me how kind of anybody can really pick up a, uh, a pencil and, uh, and paper. But uh, so maybe we'll just start with this. So how long have you been doing astronomy? And you've lived in a variety of different places as well. So um, maybe you can just sort of touch on that as well. Oh, uh, well, it's interesting that you mentioned Mark Bratton, because when I was in Montreal, and um, we were both members of the Montreal Club, uh, the RAS Club down there, he was the one who, who introduced me to his 16 inch telescope at one of his public star nights and showed me like M81, M82 and I like drooled and like, oh my God, this is amazing. So when I moved out west, uh, first to Prince Albert, well, part of the deal was I was gonna get a telescope. So at that time I got a six inch daub and now I'm in Saskatoon and uh, it was time to switch to something i was i had a 10 inch light bridge and i kind of never really recovered from the 2009 um rains at on cypress hills that year for the international year of astronomy mm -hmm. uh, my my second my mirror my primary mirror was was losing it so and i was thinking i want something lighter and skinnier <laughs> okay and okay. so 2018, I purchased um, a Celestron 6-inch um, uh, go-to, and we're still kind of making the transition from um, uh, from Dobbs, Dobsonian to a go-to. It's a quite, quite a different relationship with your technology that helps you see more. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's been a bit of a learning curve to work with a uh, intelligent telescope. <laughs> yeah, cool. Those C6s are, are fantastic little telescopes. I really think they punch above their weight. Uh, they, they, oh. I, I've always been impressed whenever I look through one as to what they show. Because every time I go to look, I think, eh, you know, smaller SCT, uh, what can it really do? But it, it, they always blow my mind. 
Well, when I was in, um, I was in Alberta in 2018 and decided to go to All Star Telescopes. So I'm ready to look at some other telescopes there. That's a great place uh, to look at them. And I was dithering between the C6 and the C8, but in terms of weight, the C8 was that much more bulkier and heavier. Mm -hmm. And I said, I think we're going to go with the C6 now. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm getting to getting to know that telescope a lot better this year. I seem to be more comfortable with the the relationship you can create with technology um, than I was before. So we're, you know, making a transition, I guess, as, a, as it were. Yeah. How, how do you find uh, the C6 compares to the 10 inch light bridge with like cooling times and getting acclimated to the outside air? Well, I guess uh, I, I probably had to be more careful about dew and stuff like that with my 10 inch. Um, I wasn't using a fan or anything on it. Uh, I was like, no technology. <laughs> um, so with the C6, I'm not having any problems like that. I, I maybe I haven't had it out enough to really be able to answer that well, but um, mm -hmm. I so far not really had that issue and uh, yeah. So what are you guys using? Um, well, um, myself, uh, well, actually, Chris and I are kind of going down some similar paths, but uh, primarily just refractors. And uh, lately it's been a 76 millimeter um, Takahashi 70, or 76 DCU. Um, nice. So it has a focal length of 570 millimeters. But it also has this Q extender that you can screw in, like the tube separates, you put in the extender and everything reattaches, and then it turns into like a F12 and a half or something. Oh, wow. Like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's been a lot of fun. I've been enjoying that. And I've been using, um, a, I bought a 60 millimeter tack about three or four years ago. And I've been using that a lot because it's so light and portable and it, it can go on anything. I've taken it on trips all around uh, North America. And then I'm also uh, recently still working on getting my uh, 100 millimeter Takahashi working working the way I want. But I, I recently also got a uh, an electronic tracking mount, which uh, which I like quite a bit as well. So, so have you been able to do any sketching with the uh, with the C6 and and how how do you find the tracking on on that mount for sketching? Um, well, the, the the tracking will be better once I get to uh, graduate from one one. Uh, uh, one object to two object uh, tracking. Okay. Um, yeah, when I had it out a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, doing planets and it was at, you know, um, the, uh, what do you call it? The Neptune. Uh, Opposition. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> and yeah, you know, I, I didn't succeed in finding it with the telescope, but I found it with my binoculars. Um, so it's, you know, it's still kind of something to discover about how, how that works. Uh, so I'm really excited about it because that's what I want to do is I want to be able to sit and have an object that stays in view. And that, I think it frees me up to be more um, one with the object I'm drawing because yeah. I, have, uh, I don't have to you know, fudge around with pushing my scope or pulling my scope and oops, you know, I lost it. Now you go back to your you know, your uh, finder and then find it again. So I think this will be a lot, a lot more freeing in terms of being able to focus on what I'm looking at yep. and, and drawing. So I think that's, that's kind of exciting. Something to look forward to. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a, I, and I find that with the, the go-tos and the, the tracking mounts is it does take a lot of work. So I, I have the uh, Skywatcher AZ GTI, which, which I believe is, is, if not among the most uh, easiest to, to get to track. And, and uh, it's still really taken me about five weeks really to get it tracking uh, the way that I want to do sketching the way that I, the way that I sketch. So it does take a bit of work to kind of to get all that sorted out. Well, it's about setting the stage, right? So you can accomplish uh you know your time your uninterrupted time with the sky at least that's yeah. what, that's what i think observing is about and um and largely sketching i think that's what sketching is about as well is having some uninterrupted one-on-one -on -one time with what you're looking at and discovering by 
you know, going a little further. Um, a viewing viewing is is kind of an interesting concept by itself. Um, you know, you're letting your eye get dark adapted at the eyepiece, and I've been, I guess, I switched to two inch eyepieces a couple of years ago, so I'm. Uh, really like that diving into the universe feeling that you get with two inch eyepieces. So, and then, and then you have the, you know, if you're set up to do drawing, it's, it's, it's a different experience again, right? You're, you're kind of interrupting your view by looking at your paper and then you're worried about your lighting and, you know, oops, where's, what, where's the last thing I drew? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that is a little, a little more, um, you know, the, the stage is a little more crowded there, but it is nice just to observe, just to look to your eyepiece and uh, uh, like see see how big Andromeda Galaxy can get in your eyepiece and you go, wow, it's it's going beyond kind of thing, so. Yeah, so the uh, the C6, this is the uh, Schmidt-Cassegrain, so it's a, a compound yep. telescope and it's uh, it, it has a mirror in it, but the light passes through a large lens on the front of the tube. I always think that, uh, that the Schmidt-Cassegrain's kind of look like a large uh, pop can or soda can, as they say in the States, uh, you know, sort of open totally at one end. And, and then the light enters, goes through that lens, bounces off the mirror, comes back, hits another mirror on the, on the, that, that's sort of, in, in, you know, in the middle of that uh, lens and then comes down and focuses out the back of the, the telescope. So I have to ask, how did you, how did you adapt that for two inch eyepieces? Cause does the C6 come ready to view uh, with two inch eyepieces or did you have to get some adapters? Well, I got an adapter, um, a diagonal because I, I want to be able to stand up while I'm looking. Um, so I got a two inch adapter right away. And I guess the other thing I got right away, uh, which I thought was really cool was, what's it called here? Uh, it's a doohickey to put your cell phone to take a picture. Oh, cool. Next, why is it? smartphone adapter and that that's been a hoot uh just you know lining up your cell phone at your eyepiece and going wow <laughs> i can take pictures <laughs> has that worked well out well for you kathleen well i was using it on my 10 inch uh at the time okay. so um we'll imagine we'll graduate to the the c6 uh testing that one out as well um yeah it was good uh I was I was impressed with <laughs> how little work it was to actually get it going. Wow, I can do this, you know. <laughs> hmm, yeah, Th those are uh, those are really neat devices. I've never purchased one, and I've thought about it um, because sometimes, like you know, when I hook up my um, my mirrorless sort of DSLR like uh, Sony camera, and I take some wide field exposures down at grasslands. Um, they're beautiful photos and I really appreciate them, but they're not what the eye sees, you know, cause I'm, I'm doing some longer, longer exposures and, and, right. you know, capturing so much more light. Um, the, what I like about the cell phone at the eyepiece idea is that it really captures what your eye is probably seeing in that moment. Um, which, you know, I always appreciate that. So those, those cell phone holders have always intrigued me, but I've, I, you know, I guess I should just buy one and try it out to see how I like it, but. Well, I don't know if you can use it on binoculars, but I remember my first uh, experience that people taking pictures through, uh, like I was showing, I don't know, the lunar eclipse or something out out uh, west west side of Saskatoon, out of the city, and you know people would just go up. To, I have my binoculars on my parallelogram uh, tripod, and so you could move it anywhere, and and it would still be looking at the object. Uh, which I thought was really great for public viewing. And I'd see people go up to my binoculars and line things up and take pictures. They go, really? <laughs> it's, wow. it's, yeah, and people have disintegrated their day-to-day uh, -day technology into astronomy. So I just thought that was really, really exciting and opening up um, how people interact with, with, uh, with the sky and, uh, uh, you know, kind of just make it part of everyday life. I thought that was it was a real eye-opener for me. So when I saw the opportunity to get uh, one of these devices when I got my telescope at, in Didsbury, I, you know, I, I kind of went, okay, I think I'm going to want one of these. <laughs> What's $75 when you just bought a telescope, right? 
Yeah, well, and that is one thing, like when, when you compare it to other, you know, astronomy related accessories, relatively, it's not too bad, you know, because you can spend hundreds and thousands of dollars on just a single eyepiece. So, Yes, getting eyepieces is, is uh, an, another journey. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, do you prefer wide field eyepieces? Or, or like, I guess, what do you look for in an eyepiece? What, what, what's your preferences? Well, I guess uh, when I learned um, that quite often the eyepieces come with a telescope are not very good quality. And then I, I, you know, looked at other people's eyepieces and go, wow, you can see clearly all the way to the edge of the piece. And I guess the other thing I was looking for was because I wear glasses, um, I wanted something that allowed me to see more than just kind of a, a peephole. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's kind sure. of why I gravitated towards the two-inch eyepieces because then I could, uh, like I said, have that experience of kind of following and in, falling into the sky because it's kind of just kind of widescreen <laughs> HD, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, so I like I like to start with my wide field, and um, I also like my right way right uh, right angle finder, um, and then. Um, yeah, with my wide field and then I, probably my favorite eyepiece is my 13 millimeter. Uh, I, yeah, and then, you know, play around with that, so. So is that an ethos, is it, or an Egler, or what is it? That's an, I think it's a Egler. I don't yeah. have my pieces right here, so I can't tell you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think like, like some people, you, you get the eyepiece, it does what it needs to do, and then you don't like sit around looking at it in the daytime. <laughs> <laughs> So I have to ask, so, so you sketch, and uh, I just wonder if we could maybe chat about that for, for a couple of minutes. Um, I'm really curious about uh, why you sketch the nighttime sky and, and maybe any kind of tools and, and tips you might be able to, uh, to provide. So why, why did you start sketching astronomical objects? Why did I start? It just seems like a natural progression uh, because I do a lot of drawing and a lot of artwork. Uh, I found I, it was a way for me to connect to my art practice uh, and, and connect that to uh, this incredible journey of learning more about the sky. And um, so it was just a way of connecting my practice with, with the sky. Um, I know at one point I was doing uh, time-lapse photography at night with with colored lights and and you know I get pictures of the sky and and these light drawings and stuff so I just found different ways to combine uh, the sky uh, magic with with what I was doing so the the sketching um, was uh, just kind of a natural progression and um, I liked I liked the fact that you could sit at a piece uh, an object in the sky and just kind of create a relationship with it that's on a different level when you're putting pencil to paper something else happens and I, I don't know if I can explain it in words but um, there's a tangible aspect to drawing and connecting to what you're seeing that creates a loop of some kind, a loop of, I don't know whether it's energy or just communication or mm. just meaning making for the person doing the drawing. Mm. And uh, so if you can get into that headspace where you've, you've figured out your logistics of being able to see, being able to interrupt the seeing by looking at your paper with very little eye uh, movement um, and trying to maintain that connection, uh, you know, I think you know, you can probably sketch uh, also multiple times. You don't have to do it all one night. Uh, maybe you get a good window, 15, 20 minutes, and you go, oh, that was great. But then you can go back to it another night and sort of build on that. So you're kind of building, building up uh, on what you, what you learn by drawing that object. And you know, how, how does that uh, detail... Um, fascinate you and, and how can you get pretty close to what you're seeing or if if the object like um, Stephen O'Meara I mean he was really great at finding imagery as well and and I think that 
also brings in a symbolic part for some people mm -hmm. uh, when they're drawing. So I don't know, Chris, what about, what about you? I mean, you've, you've done a lot of, uh, you've just been uh, a blockbuster sketcher. It's, it's incredible. The output oh, you're doing. And... I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really struggle. You know, it's, it's interesting. I'm like, I feel like I'm the opposite of, of sort of your, your initiative because I feel like where you see it as, as a very, or, or for you, it is a very natural progression. And um, for me, I really struggle. Like I really have to really think about grabbing the pen and paper and, and how I'm going to approach, I think because I'm not um, naturally art artistic and I don't have a, have an, any sort of art background at all whatsoever. Um, I do struggle to, to pick up the, uh, the pencil and paper to, to go and do it. And, and often, you know, I, and I know I've shared many of my sketches with you. You've actually seen more of my sketches than anybody else. Um, because I, I feel a little bit more free to share, um, my failures with you because I think you, you understand and appreciate them. Maybe when I put them out, sometimes on the list, people say, that's, that's just so a crappy harsh. sketch. <laughs> Chris, Chris, that's so, that's so harsh. <laughs> that's so harsh. And I think, um, I think for, for people who think that drawing is about art making or that you have to have something called talent, um, you know, all it really is, is seeing spatial relationships between objects. And you do that every day. You do that when you're driving, you do that when you're, you're estimating how close a car is to you. You're, all that spatial awareness is just, you know, it's there. We use it every day. So I think, uh, I think, I think it's great that you just go for it and bypass, you know, the critic on your shoulder and just <laughs> do it. But I think that's yeah. probably the difficulty for a lot of people. They might be intimidated by drawing because they, you know, Oh, I find it. Yeah. It's their story. So if they want to share it with somebody, they can. And when you can share your story, it's amazing what you can share. So I think it, it's another way of storytelling. Like some people are doing photography. Some people are just viewing. So there's so many different ways of sharing the story or being in your own solitude uh, privately with the sky. So, you know, I just think there's so many different ways of telling the story that drawing is just an, another way uh, to show, look, look what I was looking at and mm. look what I discovered. And, and then maybe someone else might bring out their own drawings. I just, I had so much fun, you know, talking with you and, and talking mm. stories and, and looking at drawings. Yeah. And, um, you know, we've, we've done workshops at the Cypress Hill Summer Star Party with sketching and, you know, just finding a community uh, as well is another way to, you know, become more brave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Getting that sketching pencil out and going, yeah, this is just another way of telling a story. So. Yeah. No one, Are you doing any drawing or is that not your thing at all? Uh, no, I really don't draw. Um, I'm not really very good. So even just to do the astronomical drawing, I had to um, learn how to draw some basic geometric patterns and shapes. So that took a lot of effort for me. So um, I wasn't very busy one year and I just kind of spent my evenings sort of spending like about one or two hours. Like, like I kind of figured out it was probably going to take me at least a couple hundred hours to to learn to draw well enough to actually uh, do astronomical sketching. Um, once I saw how you and Mark and others sketched, um, and so I sat down and I, I very focused learned. Uh, there's a gentleman and he's got a great YouTube channel called Alfonso Dunn. I think I'm saying that correctly. Um, and he's he also put out a book and I bought his book and I, I just walked through his videos and it's really nice because you can kind of start and stop them. So I just uh, get some extra pencil. I have tons of pencils and, and pads of paper and it's easy enough to do and just learned uh, some of the basic, very, very basic stuff. And really it, what it came down to was more or less just getting comfortable with the pencil and paper, you know? Well, and, and maybe keeping the tools really simple because you're in the dark if you're switching around maybe between two or three different uh, hardnesses of pencil, yeah. maybe even an eraser. Uh, just just to sort of do the work under the stars and you might rework the, the, the picture later uh, mm -hmm. but uh, it, it's you know you're fumbling in your pocket or you know whatever you're doing to try yeah 
gee, my pencil is needs sharpening. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it, it's a bit of a juggling act, hey, because you're yeah. e- even even just doing regular astronomy, you know, when you're trying to swap out eyepieces and and hold a red light, maybe have a star chart. Now you're introducing um, like a paper book and and some pencils, and then you kind of have to work how you're going to hold your um, your red flashlight and, and all that into the mix. Yeah. So, uh, Shane, are you doing a drawing, or is that not your thing? Well, it, it, up until this point, I, I've not done it, but I'm fascinated by it. And um, w- one of the things that I like to do when I'm at the eyepiece, because if I don't, what I like to do is, is just have a, a, a detailed verbal description of what my like what I'm seeing through the eyepiece. Okay. Um, and I, I, I need to do that because if I don't, I sometimes don't observe the object the way I should. You know, I, I tend to move too rapidly. So are you um, writing notes? Uh, like, are you writing that, those ideas down? Yeah, yeah. I have a little pad of paper with a pen that has a red light built into it so I can see what I'm writing. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> yeah. Jane's all about the technology. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you've got a problem, I'll solve it. <laughs> I have a problem. Okay. But, uh, but um, so, uh, you know, I'll record the object name, the eyepiece, the time, some, some general uh, details about the sky, you know, seeing right. transparency. And then I'll try to write as many descriptors as I can about the object. And if I'm not 100% sure, like if I'm seeing it, so like, for example, if it's a double star or an open cluster and I'm, I'm not 100% sure that I'm seeing the object I think I'm seeing, I'll loosely sketch the star field and then confirm it back in my planetarium software when I'm done. But what really intrigues me about sketching is, you know, I mentioned that sometimes I move a little too fast. However, if I, you know, dedicate myself to writing a description of the observation, I, I observe it better. Um, I think what you folks do with your sketching accomplishes that as well. You know, you, you spend so much time on one object. Uh, I have so much admiration for that because I, I know you just see more that way. Um, you know, time at the eyepiece is, is how you really pull out some of those finer details and, and almost develop a relationship with that object you're looking at. And it's, it, you know, it sounds strange, I'm sure, to a lot of people listening, but I think once you've done that at the eyepiece, there's something very intimate when you're looking at another galaxy or, or whatever it is uh, through the telescope that um, it's, hard to, it's hard to get that level of um, experience or satisfaction unless you're doing you know, a visual observation, but like a real observation, which means you're spending time trying to understand or see all of the fine points of that object. So I, I love that aspect of of you of what you folks do with the sketching and and chris and i have talked a little bit about it uh about me starting actually and i really just need to start doing it because it does intrigue me but i think this I was point, supposed, i've not i think i was supposed to loan you some pencils at one point i yeah. should i, I have I blame so you many. for all my failed starts chris it's all on you <laughs> <laughs> i i just love you know and i bought like so many pencils when i was getting started because you know, most things in, in astronomy are ridiculously ex- expensive, um, like to buy any kind of quantity of anything, even the most inexpensive eyepieces, you, you would rap- rapidly be into hundreds of dollars. But with the pencils, uh, you know, my most expensive pencils, like a dollar and 69 cents or something. So <laughs> I've got hundreds now. <laughs> well, you, you and Randall were really into these particular pencils. And I can't remember what they were called. Oh, the black wings? Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, I think they're, I forget what the name is, but, but the type of pencil is a, is a black wing. And uh, yeah, Mike had, uh, Mike had, Mike had gone out and bought some. We were talking about them, a bunch of us on the list. And then, and then Mike went and bought some and, and gave me, gave me a couple. Um, I think they're like a Palomino black wing or something like that. But, uh, anyway, like they're worse. Uh, yeah, they're nice. Actually, I think um, one of the Dirk Gentleys um, was called Operation Blackwing or something like that. Right? Oh. So it's a little little bit obscure uh, humor from from the mind of Douglas Adams. Uh, so speaking of like sketching tools, um, what what are you using to sketch, Kathleen? Like, do you have any sort of tips and tricks and like what pencils are you using? Are you using any kind of smudging tools and erasers or are you just using like a, like an HB or a 2H or something like that? Oh, 
goodness. Uh, okay. So. I think she's digging into her tool chest. Well, <laughs> you know, I just, I use this stuff, right? And then I go, somebody's asking me some technical questions. So <laughs> I will just, I've got this little cloth bag. I've got a. The sound effects on this are going to be amazing. We are, <laughs> we, we are artificially inserting sound effects of Kathleen unzipping her pencil case. And no, no, it sounds really good. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, I've, I've got um, one of those woodless pencils by Pentalic. Okay. To be, and what I like about those is the whole thing is, um, is lead. So you can work on the side of the pencil and create kind of different special effects. Okay, right. cool. And then uh, I've got just a regular Stedler Norica HB. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a pretty standard run-of-the-mill pencil, really. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I, I, go, I usually go for like a proper art pencil that doesn't have a, a stupid little eraser at the end that rubs down to nothing and then you have nothing. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I used to have, uh, I guess, a Stedler eraser that I would whittle down to a point so I could have a, a nice point at the end. But I guess now I'm, I've moved up in the world to uh, uh, call it an eraser stick. And it's just kind of a, kind of like a mechanical pencil, but with a, yeah. a rubber eraser in it. And I yeah, find that's really great for under the stars. <clears throat> yeah, oh, here's my eraser. There it is. I'll whittle down to a, a point. And so, and then I've got a, yeah, I've got a, something to sharpen my pencils with. So that's, that's it. Pretty, pretty low tech. <laughs> yeah, cool. I was curious though, earlier on you were saying how you will go out and observe maybe the same object on multiple nights. And what I was wondering is, are you doing multiple sketches of the same object or are you using sort of the same sketch and carrying it forward night to night to night and sort of building up uh, a, a sort of a final a final work or how are you doing it exactly well I guess it depends on what I'm sketching like when I was sketching sketching uh, Comet Neowise I found kind of every every sketch was kind of a unique moment uh, I guess one night I sketched the comet uh, twice on the same page because it, it was you could actually see it moving and I go wow this so in that case, you know, I'm, I'm using the same uh, stars and I'm just kind of re-sketching the comet a second time. But I think things like, you know, nebulas, star clusters, things that don't change a lot or you might have different conditions, uh, that's nice to go back to the same drawing and just go deeper with it. And you might find more details you couldn't see before. And apparently what happens is if you build your memory, like, you've seen, maybe seen that object at least a dozen times. So every time you go back to it, you're actually building your knowledge in your, in your, in your brain and in your fingertips by going back and, and drawing uh, and, and sort of continuing the drawing as it were. And, uh, and uh, you know, maybe get it to a point where you feel more satisfied with it. Uh, maybe there's different things you see each time it's kind of like you arrive in the river a different place every time, right? So uh, you're a different person as well. And what you're interested in might be different uh, as well. So I think it's nice to combine multiple views of an object uh, to create a more uh, complete or profound experience. So it depends on what's going on, whether uh, I'll build up on the same drawing or I will, you know, get out other you know, get a new drawing so I can see how things are changing. Mm. So depends on, what about you, Chris? So you, um, I remember uh, you shared that time-lapse picture of you sketching the entire Northern Hemisphere from a map. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow, like, <laughs> that's tenacity. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, my, one of my greatest strengths is my ignorance. And, and, I, and I mean that in all sincerity. So, for example, when I started astronomy back years ago, I, I started sort of, uh, I was living in a small town and there were amateur astronomers there, but, um, well, they were probably the age I am now. And I was, I was a young kid and I thought, oh, oh, these old guys, you know, I, you know, I can't really go and hang out with them. And 
But I, I know what an astronomer does. They go out and they stay up all night and they have a star chart and they look at everything that's on the star chart. And so that's how I started, um, only to come to find out that typically amateur astronomers uh, don't stay up all night every night that it's clear and, and try to go through an entire star chart over the course of a few years. Um, and so it's kind of the same thing with, with the sketching, though I've seen like you and Mark and, and Randall sketch and you, you folks are very ambitious sketchers as well. That's my context is, is to attempt to, uh, to sketch as you folks do. So um, what I did that year is I went out and I, I made a series of, um, I guess I split the sky into about eighths and I went through and I, and I did each eighth of the sky um, which is quite doable in a night. So you could, you could sketch sort of a slice of the sky that's only about an eighth of the sky. So for example, uh, if you looked at the Milky Way from say Altair Alberio down to the horizon, you drew a triangle out, that would just be an eighth of the sky. And then you can kind of sort of um, mirror that around the sky. And so that's what I did one spring. And then I was able to kind of take all those sketches and put them in front of me um, and then use, I used, uh, and, and in chatting with Roy Bishop, who's, who's uh, an amazing uh, amateur and, and a professor emeritus at Acadia University, I used his um, sketch of, I think it was the spring or the summer sky as my base. And then what I did is I superimposed all of my naked eye sketches around that to get a, to get a you know, somewhat accurate uh, naked eye uh, view of the nighttime sky. So I, I chatted quite a bit with him about how you actually would, uh, you know, uh, create a map uh, of the nighttime sky, na naked eye, and then and then transpose that onto uh, onto a circle. So uh, he was able to kind of walk me through a little bit of that. It was very kind of him. So anyway, that that was a bit of my own uh, sort of project. So I, I really do appreciate your uh, your answer, though. I thought that was really um, really insightful uh, and interesting. But I wanted to ask you before we kind of move on to our next section. If you could give somebody who is trying to get started, like maybe Shane, what would be what would be one piece of advice you could give Shane to get him uh, off the fence and and don't say get up early in the morning and start observing because that's what I always tell him to do. Yeah, that 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 just <laughs> that's a bad place to start with me. <laughs> so what what would your tip for Shane uh, be to get started? I have to ask Shane what kind of equipment you've got. Um, I recently got a, a new headlamp and I find lighting is, uh, is really important to consider. Like I've got a book lamp that I click, click, clip onto um, a sketch pad so I can, you know, find my paper and, and know where I made marks before and stuff. So I think, I think part of it is having the right, right equipment. Um, yeah, and I got a, a new headlamp uh, by Princeton Tech, and it's the first time I found a, a reasonable headlamp, and it took it cost a bit of money, but it actually has a, a variable red light on it, and to me that's like wow, this is like gold. So I think part of it's having the right equipment, um, and um, I you know I don't know if you want to like start on the night sky or start on you know sketching from a picture like I I don't I don't really ask people how they get started I just go and, and we do it right so um, you know get yourself a pencil that you're comfortable with fool around with your pencil first like I I also have um, uh, another lead pencil that the one that dropped on the floor when I taking my stuff out. that was a, that was a 9b so it's very very dark pencil sometimes I do like to get those dark darks in in my drawing I think it's about having maybe one or two pencils and uh, something to erase with. And, and you might want to just explore that on paper and broad daylight and just see how many different kind of marks you can make. Uh, if you want to pull out a picture of one of your favorite nebulas or something, uh, so you can look at all the different textures you can achieve with pencil. I think uh, part of it is being uh, the idea of play into it that you're playing and it's not like, oh, this is gonna fail. It's like, oh, I'm just, I'm just playing. So, you know, the stakes aren't as high. Uh, so what sort of things are you looking at there, Shane? Because that, that's another thing is, is, is what you're looking at, uh, is it valuable for you to draw or not? Like, 
Well, lately it's been planets um, just due to their favorable position in the sky, like Jupiter, Saturn, and now Mars. Oh my God, um, yes. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, from the city, I, I love double stars. I look at those quite a bit. Um, and then when I get to dark skies, it's a lot of uh, open clusters and nebula for the most part. Yeah, so another thing, I mean, when you're looking at double stars, sometimes it's the colors that are interesting, but it's really hard to deal with color in, in under red light. So I, if, if you're going to deal with color, then that might be something you do after you're sketching. Um, for for like uh, something like the double cluster in Perseus, I mean that's a and yes, you might want to choose a favorite object to start with, um, and just kind of explore uh, all the different values. And um, I tend to just draw on the negative, like I'll like the center of Andromeda is going to be darker, and <laughs> the the edges will be get lighter. So I don't even like some people prefer drawing on a black background, but then I find it gets, it really gets your mind into a pretzel because you just want to just want to draw and connect, make it really simple for your brain to transmit that information onto paper. Okay. Yeah, that's really helpful. Um, I think I think I need to get a pencil and a pad of paper and just start doing this stuff. So thank you, I, thank you for that. I can ho- <laughs> I can hook you up, Shane. you let me know (laughs) all right okay kathleen have some questions for you here um what are how how did you get started in astronomy for the very first time like what was the thing that got you hooked or interested oh gosh well that goes back to camping with my family as a kid uh my dad would show me the the big dipper and show me how to get to the north star and stuff so i think partly that's that's my family. And then um, in later years, when uh, Comet Hale-Bopp and Hakitaki were around, I was living in Montreal. And my, my brother, he went uh, looking all over the eastern townships to uh, try to chase after the Hakitaki Comet. Because at that time, it was just, uh, you get out of the bubble of, of the city and uh, you go, wow, there's this, th- that particular one basically covered the whole sky. And so, part of this is my brother's inspiration and um at one point he he insisted that we get out of the city to see hale bop and i go yeah yeah i can see it it moves every night and it was just amazing to get out of the city and see how much more you can see um and uh and then you know i started attending the astron astronomical uh meetings with the montreal club and so that's kind of where i got started and I remember my first messy objects were were observed from Montreal through someone else's scope. So, uh, and, you know, as kids, we had one of those trash telescopes that were really great for showing, uh, you know, lunar eclipses and seeing the, the rings of Saturn. I mean, a lot of people talk about seeing the rings of Saturn for the first time, and it just, uh, just, it, it it's defies description. <laughs> Um, and yeah, then Saturn like, is what got me hooked for sure. Oh yeah. 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 Was it on a trash telescope too? <laughs> no, no, it was on a, a very old telescope that the Regina center owned or still owns actually. It's oh, just, happy. it's on display at a museum. It was a four inch, uh, uh brochure refractor, all brass and everything, but, uh, Saturn was amazing through it. Yeah. And then, uh, I guess at one point, uh, with my 10 inch daub, seeing things like the ring nebula, uh, I was like, I was, I was pretty stoked. So I just, just kept building on my, my next things and, uh, kept going. Like there are times that you, uh, maybe aren't as, uh, getting out to see the stars as often as, as you'd like. And you go, well, they've switched everything for me. So yeah, I'm reacquainted with the night sky and, so it's this constant uh, rediscovering process for me anyway, so. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, what's your favorite piece of gear? Uh, I, I'm afraid that has to be my binoculars. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> yeah, that's a great answer, I love that. <laughs> well, I, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, somebody stole my, my binoculars from my car and I've, I've kind of never recovered from it, but. Uh, there were binoculars that 
my parents have given both me and my brother as, as gifts. Um, and so we each had a pair and loved them and, uh, and then they were gone. And then, so that forced me to go out and get something new and up with a great set of binoculars by uh, Vortex or Diamondbacks. Oh, wow. Eight yeah, by four, two, really great eye relief on them. And they're relatively small. And I just, I can pop them out and look at birds or I can pop them out and look at the planets. It packs in my backpack. I just find that really versatile. And uh, so that's probably my favorite piece of equipment and, and my new headlamp. <laughs> 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 maybe not the answers you were hoping for but that's <laughs> those are good those are those are perfect. great yeah, yeah we, we talk a lot about binoculars on here and and i think when it comes to astronomy binoculars are easily the most overlooked tool especially i think for new people getting right. into astronomy everybody i think assumes that astronomy equals telescope or you must have a telescope to do astronomy and there's been nights where Chris and I and Mike and uh, we've gone down to Grasslands National Park with our telescopes. There's some nights the telescopes either don't get set up or we set them up, but we never look through them because we're just so mesmerized by the wide field, low power views that binoculars provide. And just the, the enjoyment and the ease of scanning the Milky Way with binoculars is unparalleled. It's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, if you can get yourself comfortable on the ground with a, a good, uh, uh, you know, mattress or, or uh, um, you know, some covering of some kind so you don't get the, the humidity and then, uh, you know, maybe get an older uh, sleeping bag out and just get snuggly and you go, wow, you can last for quite a while uh, under a good night sky just doing that. And that, that's what I ended up doing at national, the National Park uh, last weekend is just floating through the sky that way and picking out my faves and and uh that, that's that's uh you know those are probably like in terms of your own bodily memories you probably have more longer memories using uh, binoculars than a telescope you, you probably had access to binoculars probably longer in your life than you had about a telescope so it's just kind of natural to, to reach for them absolutely absolutely last question for me What's your favorite object to observe? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah, it's not really a fair question. No. We're, we're going to ask it anyway. <laughs> yeah, or maybe what was the last object you observed if, if yeah. you're struggling with that? Um, well, I, I would say the last object I observed was the moons of Jupiter. Nice. And I, what I love about the moons of Jupiter is if, if you're up there long enough, those little dots <laughs> actually move. And it's astonishing to see things change in the night sky. I think that's a, that's a good classic one. And then you can pick out the, the bands and such, uh, depending on your night and how low it is. <clears throat> what about you guys? It was the last thing you guys, I don't think you guys got down to grasslands this last time with the smoke, but uh, what was the last things you guys have been observing mars for me um earlier this week we had some clear skies uh here in regina so i was looking at mars Fantastic. and that was it yeah i spent uh probably an hour hour and a half just uh you know changing magnifications and waiting for steady moments of seeing and it was really enjoyable when when is uh mars in opposition i, I thought that was coming up yeah on the, I think it's on the 12th or the, it's the night of the 12th slash 13th of October. Yep. So a few weeks, two weeks from now. Yeah. yeah so then the, uh, the meteor shower that's coming up too. Uh, I think it's favorable this year. Yeah. The Orionids on the 21st of October ish. Yeah. So hopefully those will be good nights. <laughs> yeah. My, my most recent observation, although I've been observing Mars a lot. The last thing that I, I observed through my telescope and, and did a sketch of, by the way, is uh, I did a sketch of uh, the sword of Orion through my 60 millimeter F10 uh, at about uh, 530 in the morning, just, just before the uh, sun started to uh, lighten the sky here on Friday morning. Um, so I spent about uh, 15 or 20 minutes sketching that and I sent that off to you, Shane. I think you, you would have looked at that sketch. Yeah, yeah, it was really good. I was impressed. And yeah, uh, thank it, you. I, I love, like, it was also 
like seeing Orion. I just, I, I, I do, I'm, I'm maybe one of the strange people in this province, but I, I do enjoy winter and uh, seeing, <laughs> seeing Orion on a, a, like a crisp winter night is just one of the great things in life for me. So seeing that sketch, you kind of got me excited here for the fall and upcoming winter. Yeah. So speaking of autumn and winter, uh, Kathleen, what are you most looking forward to seeing this autumn or, or winter uh, in the night sky? Um, I think, I think probably, uh, getting into Ryan, uh, would be, would be great. And, um, yeah, so I, I guess the planets are, are still going to be pretty good for a while yet. So I'm not, what I'm hoping for is an extended fall, first of all. Yes. Uh, I, I don't like getting cold at night, so <laughs> <laughs> I guess you find ways to stay warm. And, uh, when you're doing uh, one of your favorite things out there. What about you guys? Yeah, seeing, seeing Ryan, I like to get out to some some dark skies. Uh, got the tracking mount working, so I, I really enjoyed being able to uh, do a sketch of the, the sort of Orion with, without having to keep bumping the telescope. Um, so I'm excited for, uh, for the tracking capabilities um, while sketching deep sky objects. Uh, Shane, the ball is in your court. <laughs> yeah, the, I enjoy the Pleiades in the fall and then getting yes, into Taurus. Uh, no, yeah, yeah, the, it's just stunning. Um, and then later in the winter, uh, you know, you have to spend a lot of time in Orion and then, um, you know, working my way into Leo and pulling out a few galaxies and things of that nature. Um, and of course, Mars, right? Observing Mars pretty much every night, uh, especially if the seeing is good, that will be my top priority. It's good to have a list of things you're looking forward to seeing. And I think that helps uh, the observer be motivated to keep her going. You know, sometimes, you know, life happens and there, you get interruptions and stuff, but I think it's great to have a, at least a favorite list and then maybe some uh, challenging challenging things you'd like to like to look at so exactly well gee i think that just sounds like the perfect place to conclude our conversation i just think that was just such an excellent concluding remark i couldn't have asked for anything more uh so kathleen we really appreciate you being uh on actual astronomy with us uh, you're a good friend and and really i, I look at you as uh, as a mentor yeah. uh to me and my sketching and so uh you know it's really been nice to have you on as our as our first guest so thank you so much well, thank you yep. guys for inviting me i know we were looking forward to observing at grasslands and like oh that kind of sucks <laughs> yeah we're kind of looking forward to uh that connection with the astronomy community and, and to you guys and and your uh your your passion for the night sky of both of you so we've had some great observing down there and hopefully we'll I'm still pulling for a, you know, a new moon in October on the grasslands. Who knows? <laughs> we'll, we'll share a story about that with you at a different time. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right, Shane, how can people stay in touch with us? Uh, people can find us on Twitter. We are at Actual Astronomy. Uh, you can leave reviews on any of the podcast apps that you use. And the final way is you can email us. We are actualastronomy at gmail.com. Uh, we have received a few emails recently, so thank you very much to those folks who have given us some feedback. And um, just kind of a quick note about that is Chris and I are planning, I don't know if we'll have a like a mailbag episode, but we will address some of the questions that we've been asked in these emails in an upcoming episode. Thanks so much, Shane. Thank you, Chris and Kathleen, and thanks to everybody for listening. <laughs>